Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. All right, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, now we got this therefore because we just read last week, we studied, actually last three weeks, studied chapter 11. And so the writer Hebrews is now, he's gone through what we call, chapter 11 is called the Great Hebrews, well it's not great, but it's the Hebrews Hall of Faith, uh, and or Hebrews Hall of Fame, Faith Fame. <laughs> whatever. You know what I mean. Anyways, um, so this is what we get to chapter 12 and now chapter 12 is therefore. And so now it's application for you and I. We've studied about these other men and women uh, of faith, uh, studied about their stories. We, we kind of dug in a little in depth uh, last three weeks dealing with that. So now though, therefore we also, it's for you and I this morning, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I entitled this message this morning, Our Race. And so he mentions, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, you know, I used to think, and I know there's some pastors and maybe some other believers that feel the same way, that these saints that went before us, that they're in heaven looking down and watching us and cheering us on. It's like we're entering into a stadium and the, the grandstands are full of all these saints down through the ages watching. I don't think that, I don't know, it could be right, but I don't know that that's, I mean, if you're in heaven, do you want to sit there and watch what's going on on earth? I don't, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't, man. I want to be checking out heaven, you know, and stuff. So anyways, um, so they may or may not be watching us, but I think what the scriptures is talking about, it's not necessarily that they're, and if you believe that, that that's fine because we don't know for sure, but I don't think that they're heavenly spectators. I think what the writer is saying is that these lives of these people, they bore witness to the faith that was in them, to the faith that was working through them, and the faith that enabled them to either wait, some of them had to wait, uh, some of them had to endure some difficult times, and even, you know, the faith to finish the cross, uh, cross the finishing line. And that's what these, these saints did. And so now for you and I, what should we do? And again, I mentioned that this is our race. We're to run our race. I don't know if you know it right now, but you are in a race. J. Vernon McGee said this, I would say one of the greatest dangers in the Christian life is the peril of just remaining stationary, of doing nothing. I've, I've got a job at home. Uh, I work from home and I have 20 hours a week and I do technical writing. So I'm, I get up in the morning and, and I commute down to the basement, or actually not down to the basement, I commute down to our, my office. It's a short commute. And uh, I get there, set up, and, and I study. I mean, I, I study, I, I, I start working, and, and I'm sitting there for about five hours a day, and then I get up, eat, I'm always getting up and eating food. And then I go back down and sit down and study for Sundays and study for Wednesdays and stuff. And my wife's been telling me, you know, you, you're being a little bit too sedentary, and it's starting to show. And, and so anyways... Uh, um, uh, it's not good to stay still. And you may think as a believer, you know, it's okay. I'm just cruising. I'm, I'm, I'm not slipping back. I'm just, I'm just in, uh, I'm in neutral right now. Well, that's not true. You're, you're either going forward or you're slipping back. And so it's, it, we're in a race. And so just to, just to remind us, we are in a race. And it's the race that is set before us, our race, 
You know, when we were talking about in chapter 11, we talked about these saints, and there were some saints that had great miraculous uh, uh, deliverances. I mean, stopping the mouths of lions, you know, parting the Red Sea, all these different things, uh, having a baby at about 100 years of age. I mean, these great things that happened to these saints by faith that they waited by faith. And yet there were others towards the end of that chapter that were tortured for their faith. And by their faith, they endured torturing. They walked about destitute in sheep's clothing and caves. They weren't delivered in this life. And yet they were faithful. God commends them for their faith. You see, the only difference between an actual foot race, because the writer is really using a lot of allusions to like the great, uh, the Grecian games that went on in that day and age. The only difference between an actual foot race and your and my spiritual race is I'm not racing against you. I'm not competing with you. Hopefully I'm not. Hopefully you're not competing with me. We're not competing with one another. When my kids used to run cross country, and some of you guys either have ran cross country, I know there's some people that are running cross country right now. One of the things that I remember, because I didn't run it, uh, the only time I ran was when someone was really big and they were chasing me. And, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to run. Otherwise, I didn't run too much. But what I've come to learn, because all our four kids were in cross country, is that you run for your personal best. So you're always, you know, you're, you're, you're running basically against yourself. I mean, you're in a competition with other people, but really what matters is your time, your, your personal best. And so for you and I, what's our personal best in our race that we're running this morning? Well, the writer here says, don't let anything hinder your running. He says, lay aside every weight. Now, the runners in those Greek, Grecian games, in the ancient Greek games, they ran nearly naked. In fact, I was going to do a, a little graphic, and I'm looking for graphics, and they got all these little, you know, and pottery and stuff of the, the I, don't, I guess it's from the day and age of the runners, and I'm like, I'm not going to put that up there, <laughs> you know, because they ran naked. <laughs> so no graphics for that. <laughs> that word weight means an encumbrance. It's not necessarily a sin. In fact, this, in this application here, it's not sin. It's whatever weighs you down. It's, it's whatever might slow you down from running your personal best. Paul kind of addressed it in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. He said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. So there's stuff in your my life. It's not necessarily a sin, but there's stuff that maybe is keeping us from our personal best in our race, from running the race. And so we're to lay aside any weight, anything that's just, it's just not helping us in our walk. But we're also to lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us. That word literally means the, the, uh, the easily besetting sin. The Latin Vulgate translates it as the sin standing around us. Now, for the readers, uh, for the for the readers of this letter, because this is this is written to Hebrew believers, for them, the sin that was laying around them was apostasy from Christ. The reason for this letter is because there were saints that they were Jewish, they had come to faith in Christ, but they were tempted to go back to Judaism, go back to legalism, to go back to the sacrifices, and it's an apostasy from Christ. That was that was what they needed to lay aside. For you and I, I don't know if apostasy is the sin that's so easily besetting you. It might be something else. This verse reminds us of the wild beasts in the jungle. 
You know, you're, you're at nighttime, you're, you're gathered around the campfire and you hear the, you hear the wild animals, you know, they're, they're out there. They're just out in the dark at the periphery and they're just waiting for someone to get away from that fire so that they can attack them, they can pounce on them. Well, what's the sin that's surrounding you? That's a rhetorical. I don't need any raise of hands or anything. What sin is ready to pounce on you in your moment of weakness? Well, the writer here says, lay it aside. Now, he wouldn't say lay it aside if you could lay it aside. Now, some people say, you know, I got this sin, and, and man, I tell you, I have just, it, it comes over me, and I, I, I just, man, I fall. And, and we act like we're helpless. But the writer says, lay it aside. You're not powerless over that sin. The Bible teaches that you and I, we're not slaves to sin. We've been set free from sin by Jesus Christ. And so we can lay it aside. And then he says, let us run with endurance. And that verb actually means to let us keep on running with endurance. Now, endurance, you know, you just, endurance, if you think about it, um, it's like, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to hang on. I'm going to endure through this thing. And it's kind of a passive thing. You know, you hunker down and you endure it. And, and there is an aspect to that. But it's not just passive. It's also active. It includes both passive endurance and active persistence. See, we don't just endure the race. I mean, if you want to win a prize, you don't just, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm just going to run. I'm going to just get it, you know, hopefully I cross the finish line. Now we want to win, right? When you're running in a competition, you want to win, win, excuse me. So you exert yourself, you expend yourself, you push yourself past the pain. You guys have heard that before. Push through the pain, you know, exert, keep pushing on. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. That's what we're to do in our Christian life. We're to run in a way, laying aside all those hindrances, uh, the sin that keeps stumbling us, man, we're to lay that aside and we're to push through the pain. We're to run. I could be a coach, man, I tell you. <laughs> so now the writer's going to give us some practical advice, how you, how you run with endurance. And here's the very first thing. Stay focused. Man, stay focused. Look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking under, uh, unto Jesus, it literally means to look away steadfastly or intently toward a distant object. I like what Thayer's great, Thayer's great Dictionary says. It's to turn the eyes away from other things and fix them on something. And in our case, it's someone, Jesus Christ. We're not to look at everything. We're just to keep our eyes fixed on our Savior, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, I don't know about in your Bible, but in my Bible, R is italicized. That means it was added by the translators because to them, it's like it makes sense. We'll add R, R in there. But the, what that verse literally is, the author and finisher of faith. That word author is archegos, and it means the chief leader. He's the one who blazed the trail of faith and gave us the model of faith for you and I to follow. And he's called the finisher. And that word is uh, teleotes. 
And so Jesus Christ is the supreme model of faith, of living a life of faith. Where others failed, he succeeded. And and so he's made a way for you and I to follow him. He's shown us how we can live that life of faith. Matthew Henry said this, Christians have a greater example to animate and encourage them in their Christian course than any or all who have been mentioned before, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The ones that he talks about, the ones that are mentioned before, he's referring back to chapter 11. Those great men and women of faith. But you know, as we studied them, they were men and women, flesh and bones, and they had weaknesses, and they failed. They had moments of, of, of not, you know, as you look at their life and go, that's faithful? You know, we looked at that, and we, we talked about that. They're still the heroes of the, of the faith, but they had human weaknesses. They had moments of doubt. They had moments of failure. But listen, Christ never failed. He never failed. He never wavered from his race, and he was faithful until the end. So we need to consider Jesus, looking to Jesus, who for the joy set, that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. You want to talk about a life that was focused? That's Jesus Christ. His entire life was focused on one thing, and that was to live for the Father and to die for our sins. That was his life. Talk about a focused life. He turned his eyes away from other things. Remember when he was going through the wilderness and the devil was tempting him? Hey, you know, do these things. He, he just kept looking forward to what God's will, the Father's will for him. He says he turned his eyes away from other things and he fixed them on something. And what was that? The joy that was set before him. There wasn't anything joyful in the cross. You know what the joy that was set before him was your and my deliverance. That was what he is. I'm doing this for the Lord, for the Father, so that I can set free you and I. We're the joy that was set before him. And so he endured his race and he completed the course. And of course, now he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3 says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Consider him. The verb there means to think over, to consider, to ponder repeatedly. Because I know sometimes my mind, I can get, I can lose, I can stop looking at the Lord and I'm looking at all the things around me. Or maybe I'm looking at other believers and I can get discouraged. I can get distracted in my race. And so I need to continue ponder him, how he ran his race. He says, lest you become weary, and that means to be tired or discouraged. In the King James Version, the word is faint. It means to relax in your mind and your spirit. You know what that's like. It's like, it's like oh, what's the use? And you want to give up. Verse 4, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. I've not resisted to bloodshed. Have you? Has anyone ever, you know, cut you with a knife or put you on a cross or something because you, you know, trying, because you wouldn't give in to the sin? You know, for you and I, when we're tempted to sin, it, it's sometimes temptations are just, you know, they're like, oh, this is terrible. You know, we're really struggling and stuff. But eventually we kind of give in, right? Sometimes we do. And sometimes we sin. 
the moment you sin, that pressure's gone. It's like, oh, you know, because you've been, you've been trying to withstand it. You've, you're praying, you're, 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 you're laying it aside and everything. But the moment you give in, that pressure's gone. Well, Jesus Christ, he never gave in to the pressure. He resisted the point of bloodshed. So we're to keep, uh, we're to stay focused, and of course, focused on Jesus Christ. The next thing we're to do is to listen to the coach. Listen to the coach. Verse 5, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. The exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. The exhortation, what he's talking about is the scriptures, but I believe, and he's quoting a scripture here, but it's also the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who's coaching you and I. It says that the, the, the word speaks to you, the verb always is in the sense of a mutual conversation and discussion. So, you know, listening to the coach, it's not just, we're also in a conversation, we're in a relationship. Not with my coach, but with my spiritual coach, my heavenly coach, right? What does that mean? It means you're listening you're, you're reading the word and you're, you're, you're paying attention to what you're reading or you're praying and you're, you're listening to the voice of the spirit, the voice of the shepherd. Maybe you're questioning. I don't understand this. or Why is this going on, Lord? And you're questioning. And then you study through it or you pray through it. It's, it's back and forth. It's a relationship. It says the exhortation that speaks to you as to children. That, man, you think about that. It's love. You know, what parent just beats up on their children verbally all the time? When you're, when you're exhorting your children, maybe you're rebuking them. It's out of love, right? Well, the exhortation speaks to us as to children. It's for your and my benefit. It's to encourage a good outcome. And so he says, my son, do not despise. And that word despise means to think lightly of the chastening of the Lord. Now, Chastening, the word uh, padia, it means tutorage. And so if you think about it, what's a tutor? A tutor is someone who comes alongside an individual and teaches that individual, right? Because if you go to school, you've got a teacher, maybe 20, 30 kids in a class, uh, and so you're in a group. And, and, but a tutor is one that comes alongside you personally and teaches you. You're an individual. I, I handle life a little differently than others. You handle life differently than I do, maybe. You know, we, we all react differently. It's, it's interesting when, when a loved one passes away. Sometimes you see the difference in how people, how people respond in those situations. I mean, we're all grieving. But, you know, some people, they just deal with it differently. It's because they are, have different personalities, different upbringings, different life situations. We are individuals, and we have an individual race. But here's the good news. The Lord wants to tutor you as an individual for your particular set of circumstances. And you're going through something that you, man, I don't think anybody's ever gone through this. Nobody in church can relate to what I'm going through. Jesus Christ can. And he's your tutor. Think about that. You have your very own personal trainer in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying, you know, you got your own private trainer, so you can just blow off anything that any other believer, you know, is speaking to you, or, you know, you don't have to go to church because, man, you, I just received from the Lord. You, you, that's not what I'm saying. 
You know, some people say, well, you can't talk to me because, you know, I just take my directions from Jesus. I'm not saying that. But what I am pointing to or what I am saying, you know, for example, sometimes I'll, I'll you know, when I'm preparing a message, there'll be certain things in Scripture that just jump I'm like, man, I, I really want to focus on that, and I really want to bring that up. And I'll do that. That's part of preparing a message. And so I'll be sharing something, and I've got this whole point of, man, this is the application here, and I'll share that. And then it's funny. It happens quite frequently. Someone will come up to me after church, and they'll say, man, Pastor, what you shared, and man, it really spoke to me. And then they'll say something. I go, that wasn't even the focus of the message. Wow, I just it's like, where did that come from? But what it is, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to that individual. Hey, you're, you're going through this situation. This is what you need to do in your situation. That, that's what we have. We have our very own personal trainer. So listen to your coach. Listen to the coach as he speaks to your heart. That word chastening, it's in the, in the New Testament, it's used in different ways. It's used for instruction, you know, teaching how to do things or what to do, for nurturing for encouraging, and it's also chastisement or discipline. You know, it's corrective. It's training that's corrective. It's never punitive. It's for correction. So when we are rebuked by him, what does that mean to be rebuked? It literally means to convict, to show to be wrong. The opposite is to approve, to permit, and to bless. I don't know about you. I don't like to be told that I'm wrong. Do you ever, does anybody here like to be told that? None of us like to be told that we're wrong. We don't like to be rebuked. And the writer here is warning of two responses, and both of them are wrong, to the Lord's rebuke. First of all, he says, don't despise. In other words, don't think lightly of it. Don't just like, yeah, okay, I can ignore that. Don't do that. And also, don't faint. Don't get depressed. It's like, oh, oh, man, I never do anything right, you know, and it's, oh, I'm a failure, and I'm just, I, what's the use? You know, don't, don't do that either. The writer knows what the Hebrew writers, or what the Hebrew readers, I should say, are thinking, just what you and I would think. I don't like to be rebuked. I, I didn't mean to look at my wife. <laughs> I don't like to be rebuked. I didn't mean to do that. I'm like, I don't mean to be rebuked. Um, I guess that's a natural thing. You've been married that long, right? You just look to your own. <laughs> He's going to tell them now why to not despise or to blow off or to think lightly of and not to get depressed or to grow faint in his rebuke. And here's the first reason. Because he loves us. Verse 6 for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. The Lord's discipline, he disciplines you and I because he loves us. It's not to penalize. God's not out to get you, to squash you. He loves us. He's training us for a better outcome. And so he says, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. That word dur, endure, it literally means to remain under, to persevere, to endure, to sustain, to bear up under. If you, if you just sustain his discipline, 
there's an outcome, there's a good outcome that he wants to perform in your and my life. So the first reason there is because he loves us. The next reason, his discipline is perfect and it's for our ultimate good. Verse 9, furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. My father, you know, he raised me in the fear of the Lord and he was a good example and he taught me and he disciplined me when I needed to be disciplined. And all of you fathers, you do the same thing with your children. But you get to a point where they're no longer children. And it's like, okay, I've done my job. And now they're, you know, I, I, we raised four kids. They were all, they all happened to be teenagers. We survived four teenagers. We raised teenagers. I've, my heart goes out to some of you. Know? Um, we understand what you're going through. But we, we raised teenagers, and we did all that we could to guide them. They, sometimes they needed to be rebuked. We corrected them. We nurtured them. We did all these things because we wanted to see a good outcome in their lives. And now they're all adults. Now they make their own decisions. My job's done. I, you know, and I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I, some of the decisions that some of my kids as adults have made, I'm like, oh, man, I wish you wouldn't have done that. But I'm not in that place anymore. My work is done. I just did the best I could. I wasn't a perfect father for the amount of time that I did. I got enough sleep. So <laughs> that was an emotional one. <laughs> but listen, the Lord God, he's in it for the long haul. He's not like, okay, I, I told you what to do. You're on your own now. God, I do that with my kids. I'm like, well, I'm, not, I'm not your teacher. But he's there for the long haul for you and I. He's there to take us all the way through life. He chastens us that we may not be condemned with the world. And that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 32. He does it to prevent the de death and destruction of our souls for two reasons, that we may be like him and that we may be with him forever. The next thing is his discipline is preparing us for the main event, the main event. Look at verse 11. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That word trained in the King James Version, your Bible might say exercised. In fact, I'm sure it does. The word is where we get the word gymnasium. And it means to train vigorously for competition. Now, Warren Worsby said this. He said, a Greek boy was expected to work out in the gymnasium until he reached his maturity. It was part of his preparation for adult life. The writer viewed the trials of the Christian life as spiritual discipline that could help a believer mature. Instead of trying to escape the difficulties of life, we should rather be exercised by them so that we might grow. When I was in high school, there was a guy that I knew. He was, I don't know, six, seven, maybe eight years older than I. And uh, this guy was a big dude. And he wasn't tall. He was just massive. I mean, it's like no wind would knock him over. Um, and what he did, he was a backpacker. And what he would do on weekends, he would load his frame pack full of bricks, and he would go hiking up in the foothills around San Jose. 
every weekend. And this guy had calves about, you know, I was a 98-pound weakling back then. Now I'm a 200-pound weakling. But, you know, back then I was a, I was a skinny little guy. And uh, two of me could have fit into him. You know, three of my calves would have made up one of his calves. I mean, this guy was herky. And uh, it was because he was training himself for when he actually went backpacking. When he actually went and did the real thing, man, it was like it was a breeze because he had been straining and he had been strengthening his muscles and in building up his endurance. Well, for you and I, this life is a gymnasium. It can smell that way sometimes, too. <laughs> this life is a spiritual gymnasium. It's a preparation for the main event. And so you might say, well, Pastor, you said we're in a race. We are. But that's not the main event. The main event, the real thing, is real life. This life isn't real. Eternal life is the real life. So the, the training is preparing us for eternal life, for the main event. Training yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So instead of being at war in rebellion against God, we're in a loving, peaceful fellowship with him. And so therefore... Get back in the race. Man, if you've gotten off into the weeds or you've kind of, you're, maybe you're at a point where you're just like, man, I don't know, man, I'm about ready to give up on this. Get back into the race. Or maybe you have failed. Man, I don't know how, man, I just, I did it again. Get back in the race. Look at verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. You can, you can almost hear the voice of a coach, right, in that, in that point there, you know. You, you've fallen down, maybe you hurt yourself. Okay, get up, shake it off, shake it off, you know. They don't say, yeah, we know it hurts, but they're like, okay, it hurts, but shake it off. Get up, get moving, or get back up, get back into the race, start, keep going. You, you can almost hear that coach, he's just standing next to you. Come on, get, go, and he says, make straight paths, and that word literally means wheel tracks, and the way I look at that is, man, it's like a coach saying, hey, get out of the weeds and get back onto the course. There's, look at, there's a path there, man. Get back on that course. Because sometimes in my life, probably in yours, we either take a shortcut or we, get a, we just kind of lose track and we, we wander down these little trails and we stumble and we trip and we, we sprain our ankles, so to speak. We get hurt. And it's because we've gotten off the path. And so the coaches might get back into the trail. Look at, there's a path that others went before you. Remember Hebrews chapter 11, follow that path. Remember Jesus Christ, follow the same path that he ran. There's a path for you to follow. Stay on it so you stop spraining your ankle. And then find, or not finally, pursue the goal. Verse 14, pursue peace with all men, excuse me, with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Your and my ultimate goal is to be like Jesus and to see him face to face. So focus on that goal and that word pursue peace, man, pursue it, go after it. So we're to be like Jesus. That's one of the goals for you and I. Remember in uh, Hebrews chapter seven, we were introduced to an Old Testament guy by the name of Melchizedek. He was uh, the king of Salem. And his name, and it's a picture, some people say it was a pre-incarnate pre picture uh, appearance of Jesus Christ. Some say, no, it was, just, it was just a picture of Jesus. You can believe whichever way, it doesn't matter. But his name was what was significant. 
His name is King of Righteousness and King of Peace. That's what our goal is. Our goal is righteousness and peace with God. We receive peace with God through Christ Jesus, right? We're, he's the one that brings us into a right relationship with the Father. We're declared holy by God. We're declared righteous by God through Christ Jesus. And all of that is by grace through faith. But here it says we're to pursue peace. Of course, first with God, you, 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 we have to have a right relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. You have to be born again. But then we're also to pursue peace with other people as well. Remember John Lennon's song, Give Peace a Chance? Well, the scriptures here is give peace a chase. <laughs> pursue it. Man, go after peace. I want to share a few practical verses to help us pursue peace. Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I have to remind myself of that often because a lot of times my response will be harsh. You know, you know and I just, it, just, it just stirs up stuff. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Here's another one. The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. Oh, yeah, well, you know, this and this. Oh, yeah, you know, it, it's like, man, once the dam breaks, it's like it's all over. You know, it's like, okay, we're in this argument. The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. This one. Sometimes you're... You can do everything you can to try to be at peace with others, to pursue peace with someone, and they will not be peaceful with you. They've got an axe to grind, or they, they're bitter about it, or they're, not, or they're just at enmity with you. And so, Paul, I appreciate this verse so, so much. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. We have no control over someone else, but we can do our part. I just, I'm going to do what's right in my heart. I'm going to do everything I can to be at peace with you. The rest is up to the Lord. I'm just going to pray for you. Romans 14, verse 19. Therefore, let us pursue peace. Excuse me. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. What would make for peace in this situation? I'm going to pursue that. Rather than, you know what, I'm just going to tell them my opinion and they can deal with it. They can, you know, take it or lump it or whatever, you know. I, I'm going to pursue the things that make for peace. So we're to pursue peace. We're also to pursue holiness. And that word holiness, it literally means sanctification, set apart. And sometimes the temptation is to pursue peace at the, with other people at the expense of holiness. There's a word for that. It's called compromise. We're not to compromise. Jesus Christ, he was a friend of sinners, and yet he was without sin. Paul wrote this, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting uh, holiness in the fear of God. Again, I, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but you know, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're declared righteous by God. God looks at you and he sees the sacrifice of Christ for your sins. He doesn't see you as a sinner anymore. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. So we're declared righteous in his presence. And yet, we're to pursue holiness throughout our Christian life. 
that, that sanctification. Uh, I'm positionally sanctified the moment I accept Christ into my heart, but now I'm going through a practical growth of sanctification, uh, uh, continually becoming more and more set apart for the Lord. John wrote this, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Listen, a lack of holiness is a critical obstacle to having a close and personal relationship with the Lord. And then finally, he gives us a couple warnings. The first warning don't get distracted. Look at verse 15. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Now, I want you to consider, it's in your mind, think back to what we read about or what we talked about last few weeks in chapter 11. Everyone had different races, right? They had different situations, and we read about how in their situation they endured, they ran, and they, they, they were faithful in whatever situation. But their situations differed. And then consider what we were just talking about just moments ago, the chastening of the Lord. The Lord sometimes chastens. You know, there are times for me, I feel like God's got me on a short leash. It's like, you know, the minute I start getting, man, I get, I get spanked for it, you know, and it's like, okay, get back into the, you know, it's like I can't go very far. Praise the Lord, I can't. Um, so the Lord's, you know, he's always kind of chastening me. Well, thankfully he loves me. <laughs> Based on verse or chapter 11 and chapter 12, what we just talked about, it's easy to look at others, look at their life, look at their failures, look at their how they were delivered and stuff, and then we can look back at our life. And then we look at their, you know, it's like, man, the Lord's, man, every time I do this, I'm getting chastened, but man, that person's doing it all. It doesn't seem like God's even rebuking them. And the problem is, when we start looking at other people, other believers, we can get distracted. We can start looking at them and become bitter because it seems that they have it easier or better than us. And so the word, the, the admonition here is don't let that distract you from your race. Remember, we each have an individual race. In John 21, verse 15, it says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked wherever you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, uh, and, so, and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. 
See, we can look at each other's, we can look at other ministries, we can look at other believers, other families, other situations, and we go, oh, man, what about them? And it, we can get bitter. And so we need to not be distracted. We need to keep looking. You have an individual race. Your race is not the same as mine. My race is not the same as yours. Listen to your coach. Do what the Lord's calling you to do. Be obedient to what he's speaking to your heart. Follow him. Don't worry about anybody else. So don't get, dis, uh, don't get distracted. And then lastly, don't get disqualified. Verse 16, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright, for you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. A fornicator, that word is pornos. It literally means any kind of sexual immorality outside of marriage. But it also refers to spiritual immorality. It refers to both, I believe. Spiritual immorality is idolatry. He says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. What is a profane? Does that mean that Esau cussed all the time? Just use profanities? No, that's not what it means. A profane person is someone who lacks all relationship or affinity to God. They have nothing to do with the Lord. They are just following after the flesh. They could care less about the things of the Lord. They're just, they're going to just satisfy their flesh. Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of lentil stew. I, th I think it was lentil stew. It could be, I don't know. Maybe it was Dinty Moore or something like that. Many a believer has sold their birthright of intimacy with God for a simple pleasure of a sin, for just following after the flesh. Esau cared about it, but he waited too late. Or I should say he cared about it until it was too late. He was He was crying. I think he was more crying over the fact of the fact that he lost his what he believed was should have been coming to him, that inheritance. But he didn't live the life. And so don't wind up like Esau, a fornicator, a profane person. Remember Balaam? We 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 were studying the book of Numbers before I think it was right before we got into Hebrews, we were in the book of Numbers for a few months. And remember, we studied and we talked about Balaam. Balaam was a prophet of God back in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness. And there was a guy by the name of Balak that tried to hire Balaam to, to curse the, the Israelites, the children of Israel. And Balaam, man, he was a prophet for hire. He's a mercenary. And so he, he wanted to get paid. And anyways, there's an interesting story. You can read about it in the book of Numbers. Uh, Finally, God said, okay, you go ahead and go with these guys, but you only say what I tell you to say. And so Balaam, you know, Balak wanted to give him money. Balaam wanted to get money, but God would only allow him to bless the children of Israel instead of curse the children of Israel. One of Balaam's last prophecies, it sounds like, man, this guy's heart is after the Lord. He said this, oh God, let me die the death of the righteous. He's looking at the children of Israel, a spirit speaking through him. Man, oh, let me die the death of the righteous. The problem was he went on to live the life of a sinner. 
He ended up later on, we find out as we read later on in the Bible, he taught Balak how to stumble the children of Israel. Hey, you want to you stumble them? Bring the women around. Let the women, you know, seduce them. You'll, you'll, you'll get them that way. Did he die the death of the righteous? No. He was killed by the children of Israel. He died the death of a sinner. And here's the point. If you want to die the death of the righteous, man, you have to live the life of the righteous. If you want to die the death of a believer, of a Christian, then you got to live the life of a believer, of the Christian. You have to live a right relation, a right, a righteous life, being right with the Lord God. So how you and I run our race, the one that's set out for you and I as individuals, how we run it, again, remember, this is not the main event. This life is not it. Eternal life is it. And how you and I live our life, how you and I endure God's disciplining, how we, how we endure chastening, how we, how, we, how we pursue and persevere and how we endeavor, it has an impact on how you and I spend eternity, how we live it now. And so the challenge for you and I is, man, don't squander the opportunity that you have now. The Lord wants to work in your life. He's, he's doing a work in you. Don't squander it. Don't blow it off. Don't despise it. Don't, get, don't go faint. Don't get discouraged this morning. My prayer is that nobody gets discouraged. My prayer is that we all get back on the track. Man, let's start running that race again. Following, listening to our coach. Why don't you stand up and let's pray.